Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy Monday to everyone. It is June 28th already. Oh my goodness. June 28th, 2021. And we are on episode 68. So what should I talk about here at the top of the show? Uh, life in general seems to be getting back to normal. Um, heading out to restaurants and shopping and stuff like that. A lot of people don't have masks on. So it it kind of feels like we're getting back to normal. Um, sporting events. I think I watched a hockey game the other day and um, I think it was the Vegas Golden Knights and their stadium was 100% packed. Looked just like a normal game uh, from 2019. Uh, my son went to Knott's Berry Farm uh, last night and he said it was packed. They said it was 40% capacity, but he said it was packed. So who knows? We're just in that weird comeback stage, right? Where it, it feels like we're getting back to normal, but then you still see these echoes of 2020. Uh, one of the biggest ones for me probably is the whole um, Japanese games, right? The the Olympic Games coming up and how, you know, they're a big deal, right? They're a big deal to your country, to the economy. So I'm sure there are thousands and thousands of people who've been involved in this process who you know, not having the games would just be devastating. Uh, and then you have this country that's that's still kind of reeling from the the pandemic and the, the vaccination levels aren't as high as they are in our country. And so it's just a struggle. You know, they're they're not wanting to have the games because they don't want to bring the world to their doorstep and and have it potentially cause greater greater issues with the pandemic. So very difficult, I'm sure. Um, difficult decisions that they're going to have to make in the next few weeks, but it sounds like at this point that it is moving forward. So again, that's the awkward, the awkward stage we're in right now coming out of the pandemic. So, all right, let's move into our minute of transparency. Uh, I call this one the lost years, um, but I could subtitle it the dangerous path. Um, so have you ever looked back on your life and just cringed? I mean, winced a bit, you know, put your hands to your face and almost fought back tears. If so, you're in good company. We've all done things that we're not proud of, things that we wish we could go back and do over, but we can't, right? It's in the past and the past is the past. So really there's nothing you can do but the following. First, accept and admit that you made a bad decision in your past. Number two, reconcile those decisions as needed. So that may be going through the 12-step process. That might be forgiving yourself or forgiving others. And then finally, learn from your mistakes, right? Allow them to help you make better decisions in the future. Okay, time to get transparent. So I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, but 
There was a season in my life where I allowed alcohol way too much control over my life. Simple as that. And I use the word allowed on purpose because looking back, it was 100% my choice. My small choices along the way led to bad habits that took a hold of me and began to change my character. That should sound familiar because I think we just talked about that last week, right? Uh, and even back in uh, controversy theory, when we talked about um, the basic assumptions, basic assumption number 11 is that choices form habits which form character. And it was really the character piece, I think, that finally woke me up. So I must have been okay with the fact that I had developed a bad habit. But when I began to see how it was changing my character, that's when I started to get worried. Now, if you want a core reason for me drinking or something in my past that we can blame it on, I can't really even give you that, right? I mean, I had a good life. I had good parents, a good childhood. Um, I didn't experience anything major in terms of trauma, which is often associated with future drug or alcohol use. Uh, I wasn't experiencing a high level of stress at work. I had an amazing wife, three great kids, and we were living the dream, right? We were working toward having all of those typical things you have as a family uh, and living comfortably. So really nothing there. The closest thing to a cause uh, that I can find is, is more at my personality level. So I'm an Enneagram One. I think we've talked about that before. And the Enneagram Institute uh, offers information on the One and one of the things it includes in its list of attributes is what they call common addictions. So I'm pulled this sentence out of that section. It says, excessive use of diets, vitamins, and cleansing techniques, under eating for self-control, in extreme cases, anorexia and bulimia, and then alcohol to relieve tension. So there you go. Next, um, on the insights test, um, Discovery Insights, I think is what it's called officially. Um, I'm over 90% blue. And blue just kind of follows with some of the things I'll talk about um, in the next section. And then on the Myers-Briggs, uh, I'm an ISFJ. Uh, and according to RiaHealth.com, um, the ISFP, which is similar to my ISFJ, um, may actually have one of the highest tendencies toward addiction. But I'm not sure what that one letter being off means. I haven't done a lot of research into the Myers-Briggs um, test and how it relates to mental health or addiction. But on a much more general level, I mean, I can look at myself as a firstborn, if we're talking birth order, uh, a perfectionist, and I can get a little obsessive-compulsive when I get stressed out. I'm a details person, so I want to know how and why and why not. Uh, I can be very judgmental. And there's a good chance that I have what's called an addictive personality. So simply put, a higher tendency than most to turn random choices into repetitive or recurring choices, aka habits. So yes, I guess taking some of those tendencies in my personality... Um, you could build a case for that being one of the root causes. But to me, it's still a little flimsy, right? My gut says that people use this all the time to discount their behavior. 
to minimize it, to um, you know, deflect some of the responsibility off of themselves. Um, if I can blame my addiction on my personality, then it's less about me making poor choices and more about karma and destiny and, oh, this is just who I am. So this is where I eventually landed the plane with the whole thing in my life. So I do believe that my personality can impact my addictive nature. But it is still 100% on me to make good choices. Perhaps even more important, if I understand my personality, if I understand my natural tendencies, then it may be even more important that I focus on making good choices. So that said, um, that's where I found myself. Thousands of bad choices later, with full-on bad habits formed, and a character starting to take a hit. Now, I called this minute of transparency the lost years for a reason. Because for almost a decade, um, I would consider myself lost in it. It became a tunnel, so to speak, that I lived in. It was the first thing I thought about when I woke up. It's what I went to bed doing. Uh, it's how I plan my evenings and my weekends. So on a weekday, if we had to go somewhere, I wanted to know if there would be alcohol. And if not, then when were we going to be home? On weekends, you know, how early could you start drinking without it being considered a problem? Uh, if there were sports on TV, it seemed okay to start at noon, right? Uh, if we were at the lake, you could just drink all day, especially if you're out on the boat enjoying the sun. It's just what people did. For me, it had become a daily thing. Every single day, typically in the evening, uh, anywhere from two, three, four drinks, uh, if not more. At that point in my life, I guess I had it all figured out, right? I mean, I, I told myself the following things. It's okay. I'm just taking the edge off. Life is stressful. I'm just relaxing a bit. After all, I deserve this, right? Look at how much I do every single day. And what's the point of living a clean life anyway? I mean, I tried for years and look what it got me. I have lower back problems. I have high cholesterol. You know, I have my family doctor complaining about my lifestyle. And he doesn't even know I drink. So what's that about? And it's not like it's even illegal, right? I'm not doing drugs. I'm a grown adult. It's my right to drink. So how's that for self-talk? And that was just me getting warmed up. I had rationalized my behavior to the point where I actually believed it was all true. I had also avoided most of the major negative consequences, right? So I didn't have DUIs. I hadn't gotten into accidents. Uh, hadn't gotten caught drinking, you know, at noon or at work. Didn't lose my job. Uh, my wife hadn't left me. Obviously, these are all, you know, these are all the big things that that people might tell you they they experienced when they were drinking. So I didn't have these major negative consequences. But this was also me rationalizing, right? Because there were numerous situations that I now refer to as soft consequences. Situations that were negative, but I just didn't see them that way at the time. Starting with the stress in my relationship with my wife. I mean, that was huge. Didn't really see it then, or maybe I just chose not to. Driving when I knew I probably shouldn't be. Uh, randomly getting sick, throwing up due to too much drinking or eating foods that didn't sit well. Being out of commission in the evenings and unable to be fully present with my family. 
um, at times drinking at lunch and then having to try to hide it from people around you, uh, dealing with increased tolerance and feeling the need to drink more. And then there were the internal soft consequences, right? Feeling of like a loss of control, trying multiple times to slow down or to quit and failing, losing self-esteem, losing the drive to do things, and refusing the call, which we talked a little about last week, right? Uh, um, I released a blog post uh, this week called Shadow Careers uh, and how they keep you from chasing your dreams. Well, I had a dream. It was there within me, poking me, prodding me, trying to give me uh, a reason to address it, right? Wanting me to give it time and attention. But I was in this drinking tunnel, so I never answered the call. The call I kept hearing over and over and over again to do something good with the life that I'd been given. These internal struggles, along with the other soft consequences, were basically adding up to a character that I didn't even recognize. So what happened, right? How did I get out? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what changed. I had tried many times before and failed every single time. Of course, my attempts to stop were me trying by myself, right? The guilt and the shame kept me from seeking help or asking others for assistance. So I just sat there defeated, wondering if I would ever get out of that tunnel. But there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it didn't happen after some big event or some massive negative consequence. I never hit rock bottom, right? The way we, we talked about above. But I definitely wasn't happy. And I knew my wife wasn't happy. And she had actually stopped having the conversation with me, which turned out to be worse than the conversation itself. Because what I knew is that that meant something. I could tell that she was distancing herself from me. I could see the difference in her words and her actions. She had basically checked out. Emotionally, she had left me and left me to try to figure out things on my own. And that seemed to be the catalyst, really, for change for me. She gave up trying to fix me. I had given up trying to fix myself. And somehow in that new weird reality, God stepped in and answered my previous prayers. He did something in my life that I was incapable of doing. He took away the desire to keep drinking. Now, somewhere shortly after that, I made the decision I guess physically made the decision. I poured out all the remaining alcohol in the house. I stopped buying more and I just stopped drinking. It seemed almost too easy, right? I kept waiting for the catch, the punchline, for somebody to jump up out of the bushes and say, ah, you thought so, but no, you're still an addict, tricked you. But the catch never came. I just kept moving forward one day at a time, which turned into weeks, then months, eventually a full year without drinking. And that was now years ago. Now, as a Christian, I believe in miracles, right? Things that happen and don't have an explanation. And in this case, that's really all I'm left with. That's all I have to view it with, like through that filter, through that lens. God took my addiction and got rid of it for me. Not because I prayed correctly or because I asked him enough times or because I was finally serious this time. He just intervened. And help me stop. Now, I'll never know why that happened, at least on this side of heaven, but I can't wait to hear the whole story someday. To see that time in my life played out in 4K video 
and see the steps that he took to help me get back on track. Okay, glad we got through that. Definitely not the easiest thing to talk about, but like I said, it's hard to look back on your life and admit that you made bad decisions, especially when those decisions hurt you, hurt those around you, made you lose track of time, time that you'll never get back. It would be so much easier just to hide this part of my story, pretend it never existed. But you know what? That's actually addictive behavior all over again. Putting up smoke and mirrors in order to keep people from seeing the real you. No, this is what needs to happen. I need to own this part of my story. I need to be transparent so that I'll never go back to it. And who knows? Maybe my story sounds a lot like your story. And this will be the spark for you to admit it's time to make a change in your life. I don't know. There is hope. And let me tell you one thing. Life looks so much better on this side of an addiction. The other reason I told the story is because it fits in well with our topic today. Magic, right? Finding the transcendent path. The path that keeps us from detours like the one I just talked about. So let's dive in. The Transcendent Path. In this episode, we're going to talk about three things. First, traveling Route 66. Second, the Significance Test. And we're going to wrap up with Serenity Now. Number one, traveling Route 66. So have you ever been on Route 66? Um, If not, I'm sure you've at least heard of it, right? Uh, It's talked about in songs. Uh, It played a major role in the Pixar movie Cars. Uh, So here are some details. Um, Route 66 was established in 1926. Uh, For years, it was the main route that you would take if you wanted to go from Chicago to Los Angeles, Santa Monica specifically. It was close to 2,500 miles long. Uh, It was a major artery, uh, which provided economic stability to numerous towns and cities uh, along the route during the Dust Bowl in the 1930s and for years after. At some point, new highways were built that bypassed the towns and the cities, right? Made it a much faster drive. However, the downside was that it removed the economic stability away from the towns and cities along Route 66, forcing many of them to dry up and basically become ghost towns. Then Route 66 was officially closed in 1985, uh, but it remains open today as a scenic route and you can access various sections of it and still drive on it. So why the history lesson? Well, because I thought it might be interesting to use the original Route 66, Route 66, however you say it, um, as an illustration of the path that we're on from birth to death, right? This path that we're on, this journey that we're on through life. So the same way that Route 66 was a lifeline for the people back in the early to mid-1900s, our lives follow a path that winds through towns and cities on our way to our final destination. So that said, uh, here are a few caveats before we begin. First, I need to be transparent in saying that God is going to be part of this illustration, right? As a Christian, I obviously view God as an important piece of the puzzle. So he will be showing up regularly uh, in this illustration. If you're not a Christian, simply substitute karma, Allah, Buddha, Confucius, whatever, any higher power or driving force in your life that you feel guides you along life's path. So here we go. Your life is taking place on Route 66. You were born in Chicago, 
and you're on your way to retire and eventually pass away in Los Angeles. Now, don't read anything into the Chicago being the place of birth and Los Angeles, Los Angeles being the place of death. This is just an illustration. Next, it's important to note that God is on Route 66 as well. He walks beside us and he explains that this is the best route to take. Along the way, you come to towns and cities as you experience a lot of new things, but typically from the safety of the road. And at some point, you realize that there are exits, right? There are places where you can get off the road and visit the towns and cities along the way. And there are exits that lead you completely off the path to a completely different highway headed in completely different directions. God acknowledges that these exist. And he explains the dangers of each. He explains that going into town can distract you and keep you from progress on Route 66. He also explains that the farther you go into the town, the harder it might be to find your way back to the road. He then explains that the other highways often lead to the wrong destination, and that taking these roads will not get you to Los Angeles. As you travel, and as you get older, you start to notice people getting off on the exits leading to other highways. And just like that, they're gone. You also begin to notice people getting off on exits and going into the towns and the cities along the way. They're often gone for long periods of time. And when they get back, uh, they're often out of breath because they've had to run to catch up. And they seem a bit confused about what happened. Then comes the day when you decide you want to try one of these exits. So Early on in the journey, your parents, teachers, and other adults um, helped you with these choices, right? But as you grow and start making your own decisions, you realize that God is now the one guiding you. He is offering guidance and warning you about certain exits and off-ramps. But you are now old enough to spread your wings, or so you think. So you start with an exit that takes you into a small town. You hit a few stores and you check out a restaurant, all in view of Route 66 you still see people on their journey, on the road. You still see God guiding and leading the way. And eventually you get back on the highway and run a bit to catch back up. The next time you exit, you realize it's a much bigger town. You start to explore and now you're moving farther and farther away from Route 66 to where you can no longer see it. However, you still remember the streets you took, so you retrace your steps and eventually make it back to Route 66. Now, this keeps happening until one day, the exit takes you off into a much bigger city. You take one road, then another, then another, not really stopping to read street signs. You hear music, people laughing, and you keep moving deeper and deeper into the city. Eventually, you find yourself in alleyways where there are all sorts of people hanging out. Nobody seems to be worried about getting back to the road. They seem happy being right where they're at. So you stay for a bit. But eventually, your mind goes back to Route 66. You know that's where you're supposed to be, but you just can't remember the route you took to get there. So you stay longer, wondering what it would take to get back. And finally, one day, you meet a woman who asks you where you came from and what you're doing there. You explain your story and how you came to be lost in the city, and she replies, Then you are the one. You're the one God told me about, and he sent me to find you he would love for you to get back on Route 66. So you go with the woman and she helps you get back to the road using a different route and a new on-ramp. 
As you enter Route 66, there is God, right there, smiling, and welcoming you back. He seems so happy to see you, and he isn't yelling at you for getting lost. Looking back, you realize you stayed in that city for eight years, doing what everyone else was doing, lost in time. And you start to feel bad, angry at yourself for failing and for falling into the very thing that God warned you about. Buddy walks over, puts his hand on your shoulder. No condemnation, no harsh words. He simply says, I love you. And I'm just thankful that my daughter was able to find you and help you get back. A few years later, you have a couple big decisions to make. You're dating a girl and trying to decide if you should marry her or not. You're also out of college and you have two job offers that you're struggling over. As you are thinking through these decisions, you see a road splitting up ahead, right? You can see that based on your decisions, you will have to take one path or the other. And you remember that lost time in the city, those years of being lost, and you start to get scared that you might pick the wrong road. But God simply smiles and says, these aren't exits, my son, simply different lanes on Route 66. So you make your decision and you head off on the fork that goes to the left. You turn around to see if God is still there, and sure enough, he's right there beside you. And the funny thing is that you look over to the other road, and he appears to be there as well with the people who are on the right side of the road. Later in life, as you make it into Arizona and eventually into California, you feel like your eyes have been opened. You look back at the trip and you see things more clearly. You see the exits for what they really were, dangerous detours built by God's enemy. You can see so many others who didn't make it back to Route 66. And you hear stories of people who were way more lost than you were but managed to find their way back with his daughter's help. This new understanding makes you so thankful, and it makes you want to help others on Route 66 to stay on track and to not get sidetracked by the exits along the way. God looks over at you and he smiles, so proud of you for choosing to stay on Route 66 and to help others along the way. It's a task he told you about long ago, but one that you didn't seem to have time for. Until now, when your eyes are open, And you see that part of the journey means helping others on the journey, not just making sure you are on the right road. And finally, you roll into Los Angeles. Your journey is coming to a close. Uh, God looks over at you and he says, you made it. I know it was a long journey. I know it was difficult at times. You even got lost for eight years. Remember that time? But here we are. You have remained with me my good and faithful travel companion. Now rest. I have some amazing things to show you when you wake up. Number two, the significance test. So in that illustration, you'll notice that there were two types of decisions, right? The first were dangerous decisions. We talked about exits, exits that led into towns and cities and exits that led to completely different highways, right? These decisions lead you away from Route 66 and away from God. But notice that he never leaves us, right? He stays right where he told us he would be. We're the ones who walk away. We are the ones who detour and walk away from God, thinking that we know better. And then number two, there were non-dangerous decisions, right? When we talked about the career path or whether or not to get married, these decisions keep you on Route 66, Yes, you might be in a unique lane. Maybe it splits in, you know, 
one one route goes south and the other goes north up over a mountain and then they meet back up again on the other side um but you're on the right path right you're just in a unique lane from time to time god is right there with you to help you in whatever comes along so the important takeaway is this we need to get really good at understanding what is dangerous and what is not and in order to do this we need to employ the significance test so how do we do that well step number one determine if this decision has eternal ramifications if so the decision the decision needs to be based on the right thing to do right if there are eternal ramifications then god has probably already had something to say about it he probably pointed out a warning sign he probably suggested the right path or a better plan and then step two if there doesn't appear to be any eternal ramifications understand that god gave you a brain you have freedom of choice you have this ability to choose things in your life so go for it and make good decisions number three serenity now once you've determined a decision has no eternal ramifications what's the next step well let's start with a serenity prayer so this prayer has been around for quite a while and i'm sure it's used in a variety of different settings but one of the most um, common places you'll find it is in any uh, 12-step program for addiction and it goes something like this god grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So good, right? Step one, accept that there are things you have no control over. Step two, changing things in your life for the better when you do have control over them. And step three, being smart enough to tell the difference between the two. So basically this, being able to decipher between things that are happening to us versus things that we are participating in so what we want to do is we want to focus our energy on the latter the things that we are participating in the things that we do have control over so the last thing i want to talk about and we've talked about this before is what do we have control over and in order to explain this well i have to defer back to albert ellis the father of rational motive therapy who basically taught the following we have direct control over two things, our thinking and our behaving. And we have indirect control over our feelings or our emotions. Now, our feelings and emotions are a dime a dozen, right? They can change based on what you ate for dinner. But we can control the other two. And by making good choices when it comes to our thinking and our behaving, we ultimately influence the power that our feelings and emotions have over us. We will be making better decisions, which will lead to us becoming less disturbed. So let's land the plane. This week, let's ask ourselves the following questions. First of all, using the Route 66 illustration, am I still on Route 66 with my creator? What are some exits that I take on a regular basis? And how long do I stay there when I'm gone? Or have I exited altogether onto another highway? one leading to Minneapolis, let's say, instead of Los Angeles. Number two, am I able to determine the significance of my choices? So using the significance test, are there things, are there choices, are there decisions I'm making 
that are eternal decisions. And then where am I at? What am I doing on those kinds of decisions? And then on the rest of the decisions, have you found your place? Have you found peace? Have you found serenity? Can you accept the things that you have no control over? Can you change the things that you do? And can you work on your thinking and behaving this week uh, in order to get back to a place where you are less disturbed emotionally? So that's it. That is all. Um, Thanks again for being with us here uh, this week. As I always say, I love the time that we get to spend together. I love that we are on this journey together. Thank you this week specifically for indulging me um, in the minute of transparency and for being gentle and being kind. Um, Not the easiest minute of transparency ever, um, but something I definitely needed to get off my chest. And I'm hoping that it will inspire someone else out there um, and be the thing that they needed uh, this week. So have a great week, everyone. Stay on Route 66. And as always, keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.